We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. Good morning, church family. My name is Rick Henderson. I'm the associate pastor for students here at First Baptist Church. It is with great privilege and honor that I get to be here today to baptize one of our students in our youth ministry. His name is Matthew Gonzalez. Matthew came a few weeks ago, a few months ago, to his Sunday school teacher and began to say, I'm ready for baptism. If you're a friend and family of Matthew, if you would stand in this moment, Matthew came to me and we asked him a few questions. And I asked him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Have you given your life to him to follow him for the rest of your life? Matthew, it's by that statement of faith that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in the newness of life. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for this testimony of, of a student and young person coming to know you. We pray that many, many more come to know you and trust you as their Lord and Savior. Let's be a testament to our church. To in their prayer. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful way to, a beautiful picture to begin our worship service today. Are you grateful? Yes. Are you thankful? You know, really, these, these holidays that we're about to walk through is just the rest of the world catching up to where we ought to be every day. We are a people of gratitude. So much of the Psalms tell us to be thankful, to be grateful. And so we live our lives in gratitude to this great God and Savior for all He has done for us. So as we begin our service today, it is with us a sense of gratitude. Follow along as I read from Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Let these, let these words inspire our worship today. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Let's praise his great name today. If you'll take your hymnals to 637. Come, ye thankful people, come. Stand together, let's sing.
hello to those around you this morning. Good morning, church family. Welcome to worship. We've prayed for you this morning. Everybody in this room and on TV that are watching, we've prayed that God would cause you to feel at home, that his presence would be near and sweet, that would touch your heart and draw you closer to him. If you're visiting or not a regular attender here, I want to say a special word of welcome to you. It's an honor to have you worship with us this morning. And so if you would do us the favor of taking a card in the pew back in front of you that says connect here and just share some information, maybe about you, if you came with friends or family, share that with us. We want to get to know you. We really, it, the card says we want to form a connection, a friendship with you to tell you how God is working in the hearts and lives of our members and in the ministries of this church as we reach the city, as we serve the city, and as we share the gospel with the nations. And so God is at work and alive in this church, and we're glad that you're here. Later on in the service, an offering plate will come by, and you can drop that card in the offering plate, and that would be your gift to us. We would just count it a blessing to know of your attendance and to form a friendship with you. Several times in our study of Colossians this fall, Paul encourages and exhorts these believers to be thankful in their prayers, in their daily living, and in their gathered worship times. The point of being thankful is not to completely place our attention on the hand of God, the things he's done, the things he's given us, the things he's provided. That's a great place to start. But the goal of genuine thankfulness is to ultimately discover and treasure the face of God, his character, his nature, his holiness, his strength, his love, and his grace. So let me ask you, are you genuinely thankful this morning? Me too. Our genuine thankfulness will quickly lead us to praise and celebrate his goodness, his nearness. So here again, these words of Paul to the Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Let's pray together. So, Father, with thankfulness and gratitude, we do look to you. You have provided. You've blessed us. You've encouraged us. You've pressed us forward. You've convicted us. You've healed us. But Father, more than what you've done, we praise you because of who you are. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. You've given us life. You've given us hope. 
you are the source of those things. And so we praise you because you are good and you are wise and you are holy. You are pure. You are powerful. And so today, Heavenly Father, we pray that this hour would be pleasing and glorifying to you and you alone. That we would see your face, we would hear your voice, and recognize that you are the living God. So bless these moments, the preaching, the singing, the praying, the teaching, that we would see your face, that we would draw closer to you and be in your presence. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. As Scott just said, and as we're going to hear from Blake here in just a minute, uh, God has created us for community. And Paul is very wise at the end of uh, this, this epistle to say that, that he's not doing this alone, that there are men and women that, have, that God has called and put in our, in our way to help and aid in the ministry of this gospel. And aren't you thankful for that? That you and I are on mission together, and all of us have a role to play so in light of that, I want you to consider this, this passage also from Paul to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. Think, think of it this way. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. I am grateful for all those that we partner in this gospel ministry together. So let's continue to worship everybody, continue to be thankful. Hymn 636, we gather together. Standing, let's sing. that you'll continue to continue to worship as you're seated.
Good morning. If all the kids want to meet me up front, I'll be up here for kids' time. Good morning, guys. Good morning. I hope that you guys are all having a great Sunday. I am excited for this week and for everything that we get to do for Thanksgiving and to eat all the food and tell everybody we love them and tell them thank you for everything. And yeah, it's Thanksgiving this week. And we're going to tell God thank you for all that he's given us. Today, I've got some pictures. All right. Who's this a picture of? Legos. Do you guys know their names? Yeah, Emmett and Wildstyle. Okay, yeah. We've got Legos. Legos here. This next one, who's this? Woody and Buzz. Yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, Toy Story 1, 2, 3, or 4. Any of them. All right, and what's this one? I like Frozen too. All right, so all of these pictures, would you guys say that they are friends? Yes. Yeah, they're friends. And they're friends, oh yeah, they're friends or family because they're sisters. Yeah. And they're friends too, aren't they? Yeah, they're all friends and they're all working together. They're all kind of part of a team in the movies that, that they're in. They're either saving other toys or helping other people or trying to, yeah, they're building stuff. They're doing all kinds of stuff together and working together. So God has placed us all here at church. God has given us all friends here at church. He's given us all people that we know that are Christians, and he wants us to work together. Today, we are talking about Colossians 4 in our Bibles. And Mr. Blake is going to preach to us and teach us about Colossians 4. Now, Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the people of Colossae. And in that letter, he tells them all, all the things that they should do and all the things they shouldn't do. But at the end, he tells them all the things that he's glad that they're doing with him. That he's thankful for them. That he's glad that they're his friends and that he's glad that they're working with him. And so he's encouraging his friends. He's encouraging those people. And sometimes we might skip right over this part of the letter because this is just the end where Paul's saying, hey, guys, bye. Tell so-and-so I said hi to him. Tell them I said that I'll see him soon, hopefully. So we might skip over this part. But this is a really important part because this is where we get reminded that God wants us to work together and that God wants us to encourage one another. So you guys know people here at church, you know people at school or in sports or at music lessons or ballet, you guys know other people that might need encouraging or that might need a friend. And you guys can be their friend and you can be their encourager. Yeah, we're doing art, whatever you guys are doing. Okay? So let's listen today. And while you guys are listening to Mr. Blake, I want you to think of who you can be a friend to and who you can encourage this week. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We are so grateful for your word and for the Bible and how you 
teach us, how you remind us of things, even things that we might think are small or not important. God, we are grateful that you put everything in the Bible for a reason. Everything in there has a purpose. And so remind us of those things this week. Uh, remind us of, of how you want us to encourage one another and how you want us to help one another and love each other and work as a team to make sure that more people know about you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pastor Jimmy. I'm grateful for you. Let's continue to worship, everybody. We gather together. I love the first line here. Now, thank we all our God. The first line of now, thank we all our God says this, with heart and hands and voices. So if you were looking for a way to, to thank God, to be grateful for God, well, there, there's your opportunity. With heart, with your hands, with your voices. Stand together. 638. Continue to worship. You may be seated.
choir. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Even as I say Happy Thanksgiving, uh, there was a little bit of sadness in my heart because I'm recognizing that uh, we're entering into a season that's not all that happy for a lot of people because our culture, our country is facing the newest and greatest epidemic, which is called loneliness. This is a lonely season for a lot of folks. And it really is becoming epidemic for the last several years in our country. A survey was done of about 20,000 United States adults about a year ago this time as we entered into that holiday season. 20,000 adults, almost half, 40%, reported feeling alone. 47% reported feeling left out. 27% feel that they were our misunderstood by those closest to them. 43% feel that their relationships are not meaningful. 43% said that they feel isolated. Generation Z, our youngest adult generation today, those born after about 1995, was found to be the loneliest generation. And social media, that use alone is not a predictor of loneliness. In all the findings, a lack of meaningful human connectedness is paramount. The irony is that there's never been in history a culture more connected technologically and yet more lonely at the same time. Last year, UCLA developed a loneliness scale. They surveyed adults living in the Los Angeles area. Now, mind you, this is the second most populated city in America where this survey was done. About 76% of the people surveyed showed serious signs of loneliness based on the results from that questionnaire. 54% were gauged as moderately lonely, 22% ranked as highly lonely. And this epidemic is not without considerable cost, even financially. Listen to what the healthcare industry has to say about this epidemic. An estimated $6.7 billion in annual federal spending is attributable to social isolation, and that is just among our retired adults. $6.7 billion in healthcare attributable to isolation among our retired community. That's according to the National Institute for Healthcare Management. All of these statistics point to one thing, and that is that as a people, as a, as a being, we don't do well in isolation, nor were we ever intended to do well in isolation. We were created for community, for relationship. We were created for being together. And so as you gather, if you gather this week with family and friends for Thanksgiving, and if you don't count yourself in these statistics, then maybe first and foremost you should be grateful for that. Be grateful that you've got community to gather with. But for those of you in the room or listening uh, on, on the internet or watching on TV who do, who would count yourself in these statistics as we enter into this holiday season, the passage that we're looking at today has an encouraging word for you. 
It has an important word for us whether we count ourselves in these statistics or not. So let's see what that word is as we jump in. If you have a listening guide, you've got the passage in front of you. If you'll stand with me and read it, uh, this is just portions of Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. We're going to read these all together. Here we go. Ready? Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. So what Paul is doing here is what he often does in his letters. His letters follow a bit of a template. They're not all exactly like this, but typically he will begin a letter with a greeting, and then he will move directly into some rather profound theology, and then right out of that, he moves into the practical passage, the practical portion, saying, in light of this theology, in light of everything I've just described, then this then is how we should live. And he's followed that same template in Colossians. Those of you who have been following our reverse unit, he's, he's, he's followed that same pattern. Into chapter, the last half of chapter 2 and into all of chapter 3, the first half of chapter 4 was all very practical. And and it was practical particularly in this regard. You see, Paul understands that we are a social being. We were created that way. We were created for community, for relationship with one another. And therefore, when he gets into the practical side of how then shall we live, it almost always, or at least very often, gets into relationships, gets into community. How then should we live in relationship with others? And it's why in several of his letters, he, he gets very detailed. He gets into, the, this is what your, your family's relationships should look like. This is what a marriage should look like. This is what your work relationships should look like. This is what your relationships within the body of Christ, within the church should look like. This is what your ministry relationships would look like. It's all very practical. And that's where he's been chapters 3 and chapter 4, and at the very end of chapter 4, he does, again, what he often does, and that is he begins to highlight his own team members. He begins to, to encourage and point out and praise the efforts and the contributions made by the community of people that God has brought together around him, and he, he does that same thing here in chapter 4. He, he wants us to all recognize, he wanted the people in Colossa to know that he's not in this alone. That whatever good is happening as a result of his ministry, it's not because of his efforts alone, it's because of the efforts of an entire team. It's because God has put around him a community. It's how we were wired. From the beginning, we were created for community. Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. We would make a mistake if we read that passage as strictly being about the marital relationship. That's not just about marriage. That's about 
humanity. It's about human beings. God recognized they're not supposed to be alone. I created them in my image. God is not alone. God lives in community. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, living in perfect union, perfect community with one another. And so having been created in God's image, we are not to be alone either. We were created, we were wired, pre-wired to be in community with others. And God will build that community around us. But here's the question. Will we allow it? Will we, will we recognize it and will we, will we allow the relationships that God places around us? I mean, the question that we're asking this morning is, do we trust his decisions about the, the community that he puts around us? Do we trust those decisions? God's choices for our community, let's be honest, are often not the same as ours would be. Maybe you'll be reminded of that as you sit around a Thanksgiving table this week even, and you have dysfunction around that table. Guess what? Everyone has dysfunction around the Thanksgiving table. And maybe, maybe you'll even be saying in some part to yourself, these aren't the relationships I would have put around the table but they're the relationships God's put in your life. Do you trust those choices? That's the question that the passage we look at tonight, today asks us. Fill in the first blank on your listening guide with me. This kind of launches us into what it looks like when God makes those choices. God created us for community, and he will build my community for me. My role is to trust his choices. Fill in those blanks. My role is to trust his choices and to develop healthy relationships with those he places alongside me. You see, this is probably not the ministry team that Paul would have built if it had been completely up to him. The first thing that we recognize about our team, about our community, when God is the one building it, the first thing we recognize is about it is it's, it's extraordinary <laughs> diversity. It's pretty extraordinary because God himself is diverse, is extraordinary in his variety of forms and ways. And so uh, the communities that he built around us tend to be that way. Paul would not have chosen such a diverse group, I don't think. But it's the group that, that the Lord put together around him. Onesimus was a runaway slave he was from, actually from Colossa. Paul met him in prison and realized his story. And in fact, we believe that Onesimus was sent back to Colossa with Tychicus, who was carrying this very letter, because he was probably also carrying the letter of Philemon, who was Onesimus' master. And Paul sent Onesimus, this slave, back to Colossa to be reconciled as a free man with his master. And so he had a slave on his team. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, he had a physician. He had a doctor, a free man, a Greek, Luke. Luke was the historian that gave us a lot of these stories, but he was a physician. So we have slave and free. We have Aristarchus, who was one of his Jewish brothers, but we also have Epaphras, who was a Greek 
from Colossae. Epaphras is, is probably uh, the person who started the church in Colossae. You, you, you know that Paul had never even been to this church. He had never seen these people. Epaphras was from Colossae, found himself in Ephesus while Paul was in Ephesus, was converted to Christianity, became a Christ follower in Ephesus, and then went back home to Colossae and started a church. And so we have Jewish man, Aristarchus, we have the Greek, Epaphras. Are you beginning to hear words that sound familiar? Slave, free, Jew, Greek. You see, it was Paul in this very letter, as in other letters, who would say it this way. Here, when he says here in Colossians chapter 3, he's talking about here in the kingdom of God, in, in uh, this place that we call ministry, in the fellowship of Jesus Christ, here, he says, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul's own team bears that truth out, right? The diversity of Paul's own team shows that he was never going to be a slave to identity politics. He was never going to be one who would only dare to congregate and gather with people who think the same way he does, who have the same upbringing he has, or who look like him, or who talk like him. He was never going to be a slave to finding identity in those kinds of things, which is what our culture says we are to find our identity in. Paul would say, no, no, once you begin following Christ, whatever t-shirt you were wearing before that is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. If you're going to follow Christ, then you find your identity in Christ. We together find our identity in Christ, and that binds us together, and we will have people of all kinds of background walking with us. The diversity that we get when God builds our team is astounding. But the people are not going to look the same way you look, the people around you. You see, God gives you eyes to begin to see them differently. Wasn't that true of Jesus' ministry? Didn't, didn't Jesus have a, a, a way of seeing people differently than the way you or I would see them? He saw the, the Samaritan woman at the well differently than the way the culture would have seen her. He saw the, the woman who had been accused of adultery being ready to be stoned. He saw her differently than the way the culture would have seen her. He saw Zacchaeus, the tax collector, differently than the way the culture would have seen Zacchaeus. These are all people that Jesus said, I want you on my team. The rest of the culture would have said, yeah, not so much. And then some of the very people that we would have all been lining up to say, put him on our team, Jesus, put him on our team. Remember the rich young ruler? A man of influence? A man that gets things done? A, the kind of guy everyone would want on their team. I mean, the productivity alone, the influence alone would have been astounding. We would have all pointed to him and say, get him, Jesus. He's the guy we need on our team. And Jesus let him walk away. Jesus said, no, he's not... He's not right for our team. And, and so Jesus did the same thing the way he built his team. Why should we be surprised then that Paul's team is very similar? It's a people from a, a variety of different places. And why should we 
not expect the same to be true of any community that he puts us in. We have to be given eyes to see people differently and to see that different people, people who are different from us, belong with us. People who look different, people who think differently, people who, dare I say it, vote differently. People who were raised differently. God expects those people to be together with us, around us, in community. And when we sell out to the identity politics of our, of our day and don't, and don't allow ourselves the benefit of that variety, that diversity in the population and the community that God wants to put around us, then we're missing out on what he has for us. Fill in this next blank on your listening guide with me. When God builds a community that is a ministry team, we should expect it to be as wonderfully diverse as he is. If ours is not, shouldn't we be asking why not? And one of the things that that diversity will lead to is it will lead to different ways of seeing things, different ways of understanding things, and and it will lead to the second reality of, of any community created by God, and that is it will lead to disappointment. There will be disappointment. There will be disappointment in community. Because when God puts you in community, that necessarily means it's with people. And when there are people, there will be disappointment. Because people will fail us. God will never let us down. But people will let us down all the time. And by the way, you'll let them down too. It's what people do. And so there will be disappointment. There was disappointment on, on Paul's team. He mentioned specifically Mark. We know him as John Mark. Uh, a couple of decades later, he would go on to write the Gospel of Mark. A part of God's very word, God's living word. But he didn't start that powerful. He started as a teenager who was the cousin of Barnabas. And, and when the people of Antioch, the church of Antioch, handpicked two of their all-star staff members, Paul and Barnabas, and laid hands on them and sent them off into the mission field on their first mission trip, Barnabas, being the encourager that he was, wanted to bring his young, probably teenage cousin, John Mark, with them. I don't know how that conversation went. We don't know a lot about it. We know that Barnabas was an encourager and Paul was a, a ruthless, get-it-done kind of a guy, so I have a feeling the selling point would have been, he's young, he's got a strong back, he'll be helpful for us, let's take him, and Paul probably said, fine. He didn't last long on the mission journey, the first mission trip. He couldn't do it. Whether the work was too hard or whether he just missed being at home, we don't know what the problem was, but John Mark failed Paul. He disappointed Paul, and he quit on Paul, and he went home midway through the mission trip. So when it came time to do a second mission trip, and Paul and Barnabas were sitting down and making their plans and putting the team together, Barnabas said, oh, well, I want to bring Mark. He'll, he'll do better this time, I'm sure of it, and Paul wouldn't have anything to do with it. Paul said, no, I'm done babysitting. That's not what these mission trips are about. I'm not going to do it. And there was a sharp disagreement between them, so sharp, in fact, that Paul and Barnabas would part ways. 
Barnabas would go on his own mission trip, and he would take John Mark with him. Paul would go on his own mission trip, and he would take Silas with him. And it would be some years later, a dozen or so years later, before Paul would write this letter and have something positive now to say about Mark. So we know for sure that Mark was a disappointment to Paul in the past. We also know that Demas is the only person mentioned in this passage that Paul has nothing good to say about. Isn't that interesting? How'd you like to be Demas? He goes through and lists all these people. There are Starkus, and he's amazing, and Epaphras, he's done great things, and Tychicus is a wonderful guy, and yada, yada, yada. Oh, and, and Demas is with him. That's it. That's all he has to say about Demas. But he has more to say about Demas later. In fact, he has something to say about both Mark and Demas we learn later. In one of his later letters, the, letter, the second letter he wrote to Timothy, here's what it says, Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Luke alone is with me now. Get Mark, that would be John Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Maybe there was something about Demas that Paul was already sensing when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. We don't know, but the bottom line is, even as Paul is, is explaining his community that God has built around him, there is disappointment in the story, and there will be in ours as well. There will be disappointment. People will fail us. They will let us down. In some cases, they will wound us terribly, unspeakably. And what happens then? And the answer to that question is, forgiveness is what happens then. And we forgive them, and we engage again, and we move forward as best as we can. And through that forgiveness, incredible, powerful things happen. Listen, it was no mistake that God surrounded you with people who will disappoint you. It's not like he said to himself, gosh, I hate to do this. I hate to put these people around Blake because they're going to let him down and they're going to disappoint him. It's not like he didn't know it ahead of time. He puts them there knowing they will disappoint you, knowing you will disappoint them because he recognizes that through forgiveness, huge, enormous, powerful, amazing things will happen. Without the disappointment, there wouldn't be the opportunity for the forgiveness. Well, Blake, you don't understand. Some things, I get it, we can forgive some things, but some things, they're just not forgivable. I'm so grateful for a Savior who doesn't believe that. I'm so grateful that, that Jesus forgives us for anything that we've done. And by the way, he expects us to do the same then. And that's, that's the answer to the question of why, Blake? Why would I ever forgive when I know they're going to disappoint me? Why do I engage again with them after they've, after they've done something that's hurt me or failed me? Why would I engage again? And the answer is because Jesus does that same thing for you every morning. Every morning you wake up and he's there again for you. Despite what you did yesterday, despite what you said yesterday, Despite what you failed to do or failed to say yesterday, he's right there with you again, having forgiven you and said, let's go, let's do it again. And so Paul would say it this way. Paul would say, you should forgive one another just as in Christ you have been forgiven. It's the way he said it to the Ephesians. 
the other letter that we believe Tychicus was probably carrying with him even as he read this letter was the letter to the Ephesians, we believe. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So yes, disappointment, and then forgiveness so that the grace of God might be multiplied. Fill in this next blank with me. We should write it on our hearts and know it to be true. God's people will disappoint us time and time again. And when we forgive them, God does amazing and powerful things through that forgiveness. You see, when God builds community, there will be failures and disappointment, and then there will be forgiveness so that he can do even more through that forgiveness. There will be diversity. There will be disappointment. And lastly, there will be a kind of dependence on one another that quite frankly is, is maybe the most difficult of these, th these elements for us as Americans to grasp. Because the American dream has nothing to do with being dependent on one another. The American dream, the dream that those of us who grew up in this country, the dream we've grown up with is becoming independent so that I don't need anybody. That's the dream that we live with. Don't need anything, don't need anybody. I'm completely independent. I can stand on my own two feet. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Our, the English language from America has more colloquialisms about being independent than any language you can imagine. We're all about our independence. We're all about being able to do this on my own. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody. And yet, and yet, the gospel-centered community is completely and wholly dependent on one another. That's the point Paul's trying to make here. Paul's saying, I didn't do all of this. I sent Tychicus. I depended on Tychicus to bring this letter to you. I'm depending on Tychicus to go and serve as a mediator between Philemon and Onesimus. I'm depending on Tychicus to do an awful lot of things that I can't do from where I am. Tychicus, we think, was probably sent. He was kind of a he was kind of the, the utility player on this team. He could do it all. He was a multi-gifted guy. He went to be the interim pastor in Ephesus when Paul sent for Timothy and said, send Timothy, I need help. But they need a pastor, Tychicus. You handle that, okay? Paul leaned on these guys. He depended on them. He relied upon these people to accomplish God's will that God places before them. He knew he couldn't do this on his own. Luke, the historian who Paul relied upon to tell the stories of these mission trips. We didn't get these from his letters. His letters give us some important insights into the theology behind the mission trips. But Paul wrote the book of Acts that tells us the whole chronology of these mission trips and how they played out. Paul relied upon Luke. He relied upon Luke to write that so that we would have it in our scripture. He relied upon Epaphras. To Paul, who went and started the church in Colossae. It wasn't Paul who started that church. And yet we live in a culture where the dream is to be completely independent. We don't want to be, we don't want to be interdependent. We don't want to be relying on people because they're just going to let us down and that's just going to make it more difficult. I'd rather do it myself. How does that work? How do we get there 
How do we get to that place where we can rely on each other? Paul addressed that in his, in his theology in chapter 1. When he talks about the great mystery of the ages, listen to what he says, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that is Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. Paul would say to us, you start by relying on Jesus. You start by recognizing without him, I am nothing. I've got nothing. I can't do anything. I rely completely on Jesus. And so I put my faith in him to start that journey forward. And the first thing he does is say, now, let's go do this together with my followers. The first thing he does is help me to find the Christ in you and help you to find the Christ in me. That's the way he intended it to be from the very beginning. And so if we're going to say, I'm following Christ, then we have to do it together. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. It was never meant to be. And what Paul is saying here is we've got to be dependent on one another. We've got to, to live lives intertwined with one another and lean into each other and rely on one another. And there's no such thing as independence in the body of Christ. We are completely and totally dependent on one another. And yes, people are going to fail you. Unless they're going, and yes, they're going to hurt you. And then you're going to pick yourself up and lean right back into those relationships again. You're going to extend forgiveness and keep going because it's through that process that God's going to change a dying world. He's going to reach a dying world through a bunch of broken people like you and me because of Him living in us, holding us together. Fill in this last blank with me. In an American culture that places great value on being independent, we often struggle to embrace just how dependent on each other God created His people to become. So here's what we have to be thankful for, all of us, as we enter into this Thanksgiving season. As a Christ follower, I don't have to be lonely. I don't have to struggle with loneliness because as a Christ follower, God will build community around me. The question I have to ask is, do I trust Him? when he does it? Do I trust his choices for the people he brings into my life? Do I trust those? Do I trust them even though the diversity is immense and they're different from me? Do I trust them even though I know they're going to disappoint me? And do I trust his choices even though I know I'm going to have to lean on them? during seasons of my life when I can't stand on my own. That's what the team looks like when God builds it around us. And that's the word of encouragement for all of us who are lonely. Will you pray with me? We confess to you, Father, that um, it's not the way we would have done it. We confess to you that the flaws in all of the people around us 
scare us and make us think, maybe not. Maybe I don't want to be in community with this person or that person. We confess to you, Father, that it's a scary thing to have to actually grow in our dependence on each other. We confess to you, Father, that, that we get a little childish when people disappoint us. And forgiveness is not necessarily the first thing on our minds or hearts. We confess to you, Father, that people are messy, that this world is messy, and there are moments and seasons when we're not altogether sure community is what we want, and yet it's what you expect of us, and it's what you create around us. And what we want, Father, is what you want, even when we can't see it, and so we do here, now, in this place, commit to you that if you'll help us to see through your eyes, we will lean into the relationships you place around us. We will figure it out. We're grateful. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may have been listening to these words about community and about teams and about relationships, and maybe you are someone who has from time to time counted yourself as a lonely person and you're listening to this thinking, I could do that. I would welcome that. I would welcome those kinds of relationships in my life. Can I just say to you, if that's you this morning, we are here for you. We've prayed for you and we want to enter into a relationship with you. This would be a great time and a great place to come down and meet with Scott and tell him, yes, that's something I'm interested in. Or maybe you're recognizing that the relationships God has placed in your life are not everything they need to be. You haven't really done them quite as well as you should. Forgiveness may be an issue for you, disappointment. And you just recognize, I can do this better. And I'm going to make that commitment all over again to do this better. This would be a good time to do that too. Listen, this is the point of time in our service where we just make decisions, where we respond. We say, yes, Lord, what you're saying to me right now, I'm going to do. This will be that opportunity. Take advantage of it. Let's stand. Let's sing together.
You may be seated. Just a few more elements of worship left. I, I, I pray that you still are engaged and still with us. As we prepare to receive the offering this morning, I want to tell you a little bit about the offertory that you're about to hear. First of all, um, in the midst of this setting of It Is Well, there'll be a congregational element. The, the hymn is hymn number 410, or the words will be on the wall that you can sing. It's very familiar. We'll sing the first verse together. Um, I hope you know the story of uh, the, the writing of It Is Well. Um, Horatio G. Spafford lost everything in the Chicago fire and then lost his family um, when traveling across the, the ocean to England. And when he went visiting the spot where the boat went down, he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever thou hast taught me to say, it's well. It's well with my soul. Uh, this setting was written for us by Tommy Fry three years ago for, for the orchestra at first, and we were so pleased to have this with us. And, and Tommy, in the last uh, two months, has received some, some pretty strong health news that, that, uh, that it's, it's pretty dark these, these days of his health and, and what he, he's facing ahead. Um, and, and yet his testimony, I've talked to him and Bobby, his wife, in the, in the last couple of days, and his testimony would be the same as, as Horatio Spafford. Whatever the, his lot, God's taught him to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so Tommy's here today, and we're really thrilled to have um, him and his family to, to worship with us and, and to say this very thing. Tommy, God bless you. We are praying for you. And may this, may this truly be your testimony, that it is well with your soul. God bless you, my friend.
We serve a great God, don't we? Amen. Blake, thank you, my brother. We are so, so, this is, this is a perfect living out of the text that we had today. That we are so grateful for the, the people that come alongside us, that are serving along with us, that we are in this together. So God bless you for answering the call. Um, if you look at the Life Together section of your bulletin, friends, welcome to my office. <laughs> we, we come back from Thanksgiving, and, and, and it, it's, it has begun. There are many things that we have in, in progress, and so I want to tell you about some of those things. Today, um, in your highlights bulletin, you'll, you'll read about an Advent devotional. Um, Advent begins December 1, and it goes through Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, and it is our time of preparation. We are preparing our hearts for Jesus to come again. And so 24 people in, in our church, in, in every walk of the church, have um, contributed. I've, I've gathered scriptures and, and edited. It's been, it's been really a, a blessing for me to put this together. And so we want you to walk together with us um, as each day of Advent, to, to get together as a family, to read these. So they're available for free in Unity Hall. Take one for your family. Take one for your, your friends at work or somebody that you've been witnessing to. This is a great opportunity to share and to do this together as we prepare. Um, so those are available in Unity Hall today, and we'll make some more for next week if we need. Next Sunday night, um, as you leave today, I want you to look around the church and just kind of, kind of take a, a snapshot of what it looks like because beginning next week, um, the church begins to take on its Christmas apparel and we call that the hanging of the greens. There's a real beautiful picture here that, that we who are, are redeemed, those of us who, who have answered the call of Jesus, that we clothe ourselves with him, with his righteousness. And so when we decorate the church, it's a way of saying um, we are made new. And hanging of the greens is one of my favorite services. We get to talk about what all these things mean. Why do we have evergreens? Why do we have the lights? Why do we have the decorations? And how do they all point to Jesus? So that's going to be 6 o'clock here. The chapel singers and, and a lot of our musical friends will be a part of that. I hope that you will be a part of it too. Then on December 7th and 8th, we've got this new thing we're trying. It's called Christmas at First. <laughs> friends, I've got records that go back 50 years that for 50 years, this church has thrown open its doors at Christmas time, at the Advent time, and said, we want, as a gift to the city, to offer some of the most beautiful music that man has ever created in honor of the story of Jesus Christ. And we've partnered with some of the, the finest musicians in the city and in, in, the, in the region to say, we want this to be a gift. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to find a time where you bring your family and you come and you worship with us. And then I, I want you to seriously consider coming the next night to help be a greeter, to help welcome people, because this is as missional as it is worship for us, friends. So I want this, these halls to be lined with all of you on the night that you're not worshiping with us to say, welcome. We are so glad you're here. This is the biggest church event. We'll have more people come through these doors in two days than any other time of the year. So our responsibility is to welcome them and make them understand that we love Jesus and we are here for this city. So please, sign up, come, be a part of this wonderful celebration of Jesus Christ. I have more Christmas announcements, but Pastor, that's all he's given me the time for, so I'm going I'm to respect that. It's a wonderful season. Everybody, let's stand together and be dismissed. Take the name of Jesus with you.
bless you. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.